0: We have been going through a whole season. The Lord's been taking us teaching about grace. And we spent a long time talking through Joseph Prince's Destined to Rain book. And now the Lord led us to Galatians. And it's just been piling on top of each other one after another after another in Galatians. Um, Today it ends in chapter 6. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to finish reading chapter 6, talk about a couple things, and then I want to pass out some papers, and we want to recap some of the highlights from Galatians, okay? So open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. You can follow along with me. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, uh, which is like a new version sort of of the Message Bible. It uses a lot of the Aramaic, and it reads very much like we talked today. So that's why I'm using it. It just kind of sticks off the page a little bit for me. Um, so, Father, I'm asking that you to come this morning and just anoint the words. We thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you that what we're about to learn is that when we're taught the word, we receive an impartation. And a sharing of wealth takes place between us. And so we thank you this morning that we are receiving an impartation of wealth, of true wealth, not finances, but of true wealth, wisdom from your heart. We receive the word this morning. Father, I'm asking that everything from your heart would come out, anything of me would stay in and come this morning and touch our hearts. Amen. Okay, are you ready? Are we ready? Okay, verse 1. <clears throat> Beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault and has fallen from the place of victory, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him to fellowship with the anointed one. Okay? Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. All right? This is also a little bit of marriage advice. Gentlemen, win her over with gentle words, which will open her heart. Okay? Thank you, Paul. All right, so verse 1. Last week, chapter 5, Paul was talking about, um, righteousness and sin and leaving the junk of the world behind and his answer to sin was for us to yield completely to the Holy Spirit to yield completely to the desires of the Holy Spirit and he said as you surrender more to the Holy Spirit you naturally will leave the junk of the world behind your, your flesh life your sin life you naturally will leave behind because the things of the Holy Spirit are in direct contradiction to the things of the flesh right and so he said, the answer to your sin patterns is to yield more wholly and completely to the Holy Spirit, and you will walk in total freedom. Amen? So today in verse chapter 6, Paul says, but if somebody falls in sins, <gasps> heaven forbid, <laughs> right? But it does happen every so often. If somebody around you falls in sins, what do we do? The answer is to come and stand next to them. If they've fallen from the place of victory— May the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him to fellowship with the Anointed One. All right, so if a kid falls off a bicycle, a child can easily begin to think, I will never ride a bicycle. Fall off a bicycle oh darn, I can never ride a bicycle. I'll never be good enough. Every time I get on a bike, I will always fall off. I can never succeed at riding a bike. And so you, as a parent, your job is to go alongside the child and to pick them up and encourage them. You dust them off. You kiss their boo-boos. You encourage them. Say, you are a bike rider. You can do this. You're so close. You can do it. Let's try again. Let's jump back on. Let me help you. I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna run alongside you until you get it, right? That's what a father does, that's what a mother does, and that is our role in the body of Christ with other people who fall from the place of victory. When somebody falls from the place of victory, they are not done forever, amen, hallelujah, okay? When a child goes out and plays in the mud, and they get muddy, and they run up to the father, and they're like, daddy, give me a hug, and they're covered in mud, the love of the father has not changed one bit with that child. But the father may not give him a giant hug right then. First, he might hose him off and then give him the big old hug, right? So the love doesn't ever change. The the relationship doesn't ever change based on the junk that we find ourselves in, okay? And that's why Paul says here, seek to restore them to the fellowship with the anointed one. Now, I think it's interesting he says it this way because the positional relationship with the Father actually doesn't change, okay? Because your righteousness, your place in the family of God has nothing to do with what you do. Amen? Say hallelujah. Say amen. Say praise God. That's good news. Okay? It doesn't, it has nothing to do with your doing, which is what all of Galatians has been talking about. You are... You have a place in the family of God. You are righteous in God's eyes only because of the gift of righteousness that Jesus died on the cross to give you. Right? Okay? So if that's the case, then your relationship doesn't actually change. But the reason he says seek to restore them to a fellowship with the anointed one is because in our flesh, the enemy loves to come in and be like, oh you fell. (laughs) You'll never be right in God's eyes again. You'll always be this. You'll never be a bike rider, right? And so our job is to come alongside each other and be like, hey, you know what? It's okay. You know, stuff happens. Just dust you off. You can do it. Get back with Jesus. Get back with the Holy Spirit. Jesus hasn't changed his position towards you. His arms are still wide open. So connect with him once again. Go be with Him again. He wants to talk to you still, just like He did yesterday before you fell. Okay? So that's Paul's advice to us. And for any of you guys who personally, you like fall, and you're like, Oh, man, now i got to like wait days to get back with God. No, like, Jesus hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Repent and get right back where you were. You are a free man or woman of God. You are righteous in Christ. Okay? It's who you are. Just yield more to the Holy Spirit, and you will soar above the temptations of life. Okay, verse two. He says, uh, continuing, he says, win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and keep you from exalting yourself over him. All right, keep you humble. Verse two. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the Anointed One. What's the law of Christ? Say, love. The law of Christ is to love. So, love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles, all right? I love this verse and there's another verse in 5 I'm going to show you here in a second. So love empowers you to fulfill the law of the anointed one which is to carry each other's troubles. In carrying each other's troubles, you fulfill the law of Christ, okay? So you want to know Jesus, how do I how do I fulfill the greatest commandment? You carry each other's burdens. In the King James, I like I love the passion, but in this moment it's not my favorite. King James, it actually says the word burden, okay? So Galatians 6.2 in King James, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But again, burdens doesn't necessarily, it helps a little, but it doesn't hit the mark, especially when we talk about verse 5. The Greek word in King James, it's the word baros. Say baros. What it is, it means a heavy, heavy weight, okay? Okay? Baros is a heavy weight, like think of a giant boulder coming down. It's a heavy weight that is, it implies the idea that this weight is too heavy for you to carry on your own. Okay, so think of like hunched over, you're walking down the road and you have this heavy weight come upon you. And every step it just beats you down farther and farther and farther. It's too heavy for you. That's burrows. That's burden. It's a burden that's too heavy. So if you see a believer, a brother or sister, who is walking down the road like this, and life is just too hard for them, you fulfill your greatest commandment by coming alongside and putting your shoulder under that heavy weight and helping them make it to the end. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 3. But if you think you're too important to stoop down to help one another, you are living in deception. Paul says, look, I don't care who you are. I don't give a rip. It doesn't matter. You are never too important to go help a neighbor, to go help a bro, help a sister in their time of need, in their time of trouble, okay? I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how whatever you're going to have to skip. to It doesn't matter. Love people. Don't ever think you are too high above to stoop down and help somebody else. Verse 4, let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. And their joy will be in doing what's right, in being themselves, and not in being affirmed by others. Okay? I love this scripture. I'm going to read it again. Verse 4, let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. And their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not in being affirmed by others. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his own conscience, verse 5. Okay? So let's talk about this. <clears throat> Paul says you've got to give all of your heart to do the thing that God gave you. And he says that your joy that you are looking for is found when you do with all your heart the thing God gave you to do. Your joy in life is found in doing what God made you to do, okay? Your joy in life is found in doing with all your heart and with excellence what God gave you to do and in being yourself is what it says next, okay? So in the Christian world, it's really easy for us to look out and think, okay, I want to be a great Christian. How do I be a good Christian? Oh, there's that guy. He's a really good Christian. i got to do what he does, okay? That guy is being a good Christian because he is doing the thing that God gave him to do. And he is being himself. And you know what? As he bees himself, (laughs) he finds joy. He has joy. He's living this amazing life. He's so happy. He loves everything about him. It's because he's being himself, and it being himself doing the thing that God gave him. He has tremendous joy, all right? So then the problem is you look at him and think, oh, man, that's how I should live, and I'll go try to copy him to be like him, and guess what? You're not going to find joy because you're doing what God gave him, not what God gave you. And you're not going to find your joy. You're going to find his joy, which is not your joy, Okay? It happens all too often. You look at a preacher, you look at a school teacher, you look at a businessman and you think, oh, that's how I should live. I will copy them and do that. I did this in high school with a guy named Tommy Nelson. He was a great preacher. Um, He taught the word of God really, really well. He was my primary discipler, if you will, for many years just because of the way he taught the word of God. He was an old preacher, but he told me, he told me and several other thousand people at one time on a Monday night, that um, he had, from the day he got saved, at 18, he had read five pages of the Bible every single day of his life for 45 years. And I thought, wow, that's how to be a Christian. Okay, by golly, from this day forward, I'm never going to skip. I'm going to, you know, like, and so I started doing that for years. You know what? I found his joy. I didn't find my joy. I was trying to do what God gave him, but not what God gave me, which is not right. It's not what God's desire was. Years ago, when, we were, when the Lord was calling us to plant this church, in the process of all of that, we had a miscarriage with our fourth kid, Kingston Sparrow. Most of you guys have heard this story. Well, actually, not anymore, but a lot of you have heard this story. So we had Kingston Sparrow. He was 17 weeks along. We lost him. And in the process, I was grieving a whole lot. I was mourning a whole lot. My primary source of mourning and sadness was in the idea that Kingston is with God right now. He's in heaven. He's learning about heaven. He's learning about God. He's learning about the angels. He's learning about the world. I wanted to be the one to teach him about God. I wanted to be the one to teach him about heaven. I wanted to be the one to teach him about life. And it grieved me that I wasn't the one that got to teach Kingston all about these things. And so through the process, the Lord used this, and I just just had this desire, this profound desire of, okay, even though that's the case now, when I see him face to face, when I'm with him in eternity forever, I want to do everything in my power to still make him proud as his daddy. And so I want to live my life on the earth, even though he's here and he understands all this about the Lord. And I'm way down here and I understand this much about the Lord. I want to do everything I can to live my whole life and make him proud as his daddy. Okay, so then the next natural progression of that is. Okay, God, then what the heck am I here for? Why am I on the earth? Why did you make me? Why did you make me this way? Why did you put these things inside of me? Why am I here? Show me what my purpose is. Show me my passion. Show me how do I do that? How do I fulfill my greatest destiny in your eyes? And so that that went on, and I began to cry out and pray and ask God. and, And in that time frame, the Lord said, Grant, you are a pioneer and an evangelist your greatest inheritance in the kingdom of God is going to come from pioneering and from evangelizing. He said, but it's not true for everybody. He said, said, some people will have their inheritance from doing other things. This is what I made you to do, and therefore that's where your inheritance comes from, but that's not the case for everybody. He said, for instance, um, let's imagine a potter. He loves to make pots and vases and gorgeous plates and ornate things and all this different stuff. And so the potter in his mind, before he starts making a pot, he knows exactly what he desires to make. So the potter, he wants to make this gorgeous vase, okay? He has in his mind, he's got this grand ballroom with these double doors that are eight feet wide each, they're 20 feet tall. He opens the doors and right in the middle The room of this huge ballroom is this table, and it's empty. And he wants this gorgeous vase to sit on top of that table. It's going to be five feet tall. It's going to be two feet wide. It's going to be so ornate and beautiful. It's going to take him months to complete. It's going to cost tremendous amounts of money. He has to buy the right type of clay. He has to create a new kiln big enough to take care of this vase. It's it's a lot of work to create what he wants. He finally gets it. He puts it in his place, and it's perfect. And the. pleasure of the potter is in that vase. Amen. And when he sees it in its place, doing what it's created to do, he's just overflowing with joy. Oh yes, that is right. Okay. And the Lord said to me, but you know what? The potter also really loves sushi. He loves sushi. He loves some rock and roll sushi from Sushi Hayashi. He loves that sweet sauce. He loves that crab on top. Oh, man, he loves his sushi. And guess what? His favorite soy sauce dish has disappeared. It's gone missing. And he needs a new soy sauce dish. The father... He, I mean, the potter, he loves his soy sauce dish. He needs a new soy sauce. And so his next project after the vase is this soy sauce dish. It's simple. It's tiny. It's cheap. It's quick and easy, but it has a profound purpose in his mind. He needs his soy sauce dish. And so he puts it together and he makes it and he, all of his pleasure, when he pours that soy sauce in there and he, he dips his sushi, oh, all of heaven is perfect, Right? Now the problem, he said, is when the vessel looks at another vessel and thinks, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be. You see, the full pleasure of the potter is 100% in the vessel when it is being what it was created and designed to be. But when the little soy sauce dish thinks to itself, oh, I'm so tiny. Oh, I'm so plain. Oh, I have such a silly purpose. Oh, 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 oh. And it sees the vase and it thinks, oh that's what I should be. I'm going to go be that, and it moves the vase off. It pushes off and breaks it, and then it puts itself on the little plate, and the giant doors open, and there's nothing there because it's so small you can't even see it. The potter walks in, and his full pleasure is no longer in the vessel because it's confused. It doesn't understand what it was made to do, right? But when it recognizes what it was made to do, there is equal pleasure in both vessels in the Lord's eyes when they fulfill what they're called to do. So he goes on and he said, so for instance, let's just say that there's an evangelist and he's called by God to save a million souls before he dies. Wow, that's amazing. The guy gets to the end of his life. He sees 900,000 salvations. Wow, he's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. He planted churches. He saw almost a million people get saved, 90% of what he was called to do. That's amazing. And we all look at that guy and think, wow, that's life. That's being a Christian. That's doing the right thing. God must be so proud of him. But then the Lord said, so you have that, and he will have a certain level of inheritance in the kingdom, but then you also have somebody else. And they're made to be a school teacher, and they love kids better than anybody else in the world. They live their life 100% of their days, going to school, loving on their children, blessing their children, helping them become all they're supposed to be. And that teacher retires in the system 100%. She laid it all out on the field. She never led a kid to Christ. She never planted a church. She never started a Bible study. She never did any super spiritual things, but by golly, 100% of her heart loved children. And the Lord said to me, he said, The little school teacher could end up with more spiritual inheritance in the kingdom of heaven than the one who leads almost a million people to the Lord. Because she fulfilled 100% what she was created to do by God. And this one fulfilled only 90%. He said it has nothing to do with, with how many salvations did you do. It, it, it's not a form for everybody. It has nothing to do with how many plans, how many churches did you plant. It has nothing to do with performance. It's only based on who did God create you to be and did you fulfill what He put in you 100% of your ability. Because in God's mind, he sees a giant puzzle piece, and he needs his soy sauce dish, and he needs his vase, and he needs the whole body of Christ 100% fulfilling all that they're created to be, and then his full plans happen. Amen? And so I love this verse that Paul says here in verse 4 of chapter 6. He says, Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work that God gave them with excellence, And then their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves. And not in being affirmed by others. Amen. So naturally, then the question for everybody, and I continually ask myself, I just I think you have to have times of tremendous like pushing. God, why am I here? Show me, right? And then he he downloads a piece. But the piece is never the whole okay? The peace is never the whole. So then your whole life, I think continually, every so often, is okay, Lord, show me. Like, am I still on the right path? Am I still going where you want me to go? Because He will give you a peace, but the peace might be the vessel for that time frame, but then your vessel might change, but your purpose continue, right? And so you have to constantly be coming back to the Lord and say, what am I here for? Why did you make me? Am I fulfilling who you made me to be? Am I being everything you dream of me being? Correct anything in me that's not yielding completely doing what you made me to do. Because by golly, when I get to heaven, I want all the inheritance for me. I want to be richer than all you fools. (laughs) Okay? And I want all of you to be way richer than me. Amen? Okay. Let's continue. Verse five. He says, "This every believer is ultimately responsible for his own conscience." And again, I don't love the translation here, so I'm going to switch back to King James. Um, he says, "For every man shall bear his own burden." Okay. Now I think it's interesting because a lot of translations will use the same word "burden" in verse two and verse five. And so a lot of times you can be a little confused if you're really digging into it. Wait, I don't understand. There's a heavy weight. I'm supposed to help my brother carry his burden. But now three verses later, Paul tells me to carry my own burden. Like be sure to do it by yourself. Don't let somebody else help you in a sense. But then also be sure to help somebody. You know, like what? I don't understand. We're doing it's the same thing. But the word, the Greek word burden in these two is different. The first one is baros. It's a heavy, heavy rock. It's a heavy thing on top of you that is too much for one person to carry. The second Greek word in verse 5 is the word fortune, okay? Fortune is this idea. It's more of an idea of a task, a job. It's um, something that something was designed to be able to do. And the idea is freight on a ship. So the ship was created to handle a load, a specific load. And fortune is the freight inside of it. It's the the specific portion that it was intended to be able to handle and move from here to there. So it's an appropriate task. And so Paul tells us, hey guys, every believer needs to be taking care of their own stuff that God made you to be able to take care of. You handle your own load. Be responsible. Do what you're called to do. Don't be lazy. Take care of your stuff. And also, when life comes and the devil throws a giant boulder on top of somebody, you better get over there and help them carry that giant boulder. Okay? Verse 7. No, I'm sorry, verse 6. And those who are taught the word will receive an impartation from their teacher. A sharing of wealth takes place between them. And I love that. This is translated directly from the Aramaic, this word wealth. And again, it's not riches. It's not finances, right? But when you are imparted the Word of God, you receive true wealth in God's eyes. Amen? So spend more time in the Word. Jump more in. Get wealthy, okay? Verse 7. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. And if you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the Spirit. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted, it is coming. Amen. So, uh, a lot of times people will use this for finances, you know. You you're poor and you need more money and don't mock God. You've got to sow in, okay? But also keep in mind Paul here is talking about connecting chapter 5 and 6, talking about the flesh life and the spirit life. And he's saying if you want this is a universal law that God created. It's a universal principle, sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. And God is unable, I believe, to go around this universal principle that He put in place. He said it, and He can't get past it. This must happen, and therefore, you can't trick God. You can't think, "Oh, I want to be, a, I want to live a righteous life, but I'll just kind of do this kind of lifestyle for now. I'll sneak by, and hopefully, in the end, somehow it'll turn out." No, you can't mock God. Don't fool yourself. Even God Himself, I don't believe, can get around this universal principle. If you want a righteous life, you must so righteously. If you you want a moral incorrupt or corrupt life then you're going to sow those things now if you want a cornfield you must sow corn You cannot put an acorn to get a cornfield. You must sow the seeds that you desire to have. And of course, the same goes with your finances. The same goes with um, anything in your life. Whatever you're wanting your life to be, you've got to take the seeds that God gives you and plant them and trust and believe God that he's going to grow those things up out of you. And then he continues in verse nine. He says, but don't allow yourself to get weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you planted it is coming. <clears throat> Say it is coming. So I know personally a lot of times I will sow and so and so and so and so and so and, and, and think Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, anointed one. What the heck? Come. I've been planting and planting and planting and planting and planting and planting and nothing. And Paul's word to me is don't get tired. Keep sowing. I promise you, hang in there. The harvest is coming because it's a universal law. If you sow it, you will reap it. No questions asked. Hang in there long enough and you will see the fruit. Verse 10. He says, Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. You must understand, I've written this letter to you with my own handwriting. See how large I have to make the letters. Verse 12 All those who insist that you be circumcised are recruiting you so they can boast in their own works. They are attempting to avoid the persecution that comes with preaching the liberating message of the cross of the Messiah. Not even those who are circumcised keep every detail of the written law. Yet they push you to be circumcised so that they can boast that you have become like them. My only boast is in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, our Messiah. In Him, I have been crucified to this natural realm. And the natural realm is dead to me. It no longer dominates my life. Verse 15, circumcision doesn't mean a thing to me. The only thing that matters now, is living by the transforming power of this wonderful new creation. And all those who live in agreement with this standard will have true peace and God's delight, for they are the Israel of God. Verse 17. From now on, let no one bring me trouble or criticism, for I am carrying the very scars of our Lord Jesus in my body. And finally, my beloved ones, may the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, be flowing in your spirit so shall it be. In Messiah's love, Paul. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for Galatians. I want to pass out some uh, papers to you guys. Will you help me, buddy? So what I did is I just went through chapter one to chapter six, and I put together kind of the zingers, if you will. Some of my favorite verses from the last month or two, and um, just so that we would be reminded and remember what Galatians is all about and let those things go deeper into our hearts. So once everybody has those, I'm just going to read through it um, as if it's one, one scripture. And then you guys can hang on to these and stick them on your walls, or stick them in your Bible, remind yourself of these things. Everybody got it? All right. <clears throat> We know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. His faithfulness, not ours, has saved us, and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws, but by the gift of grace. Say amen. So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit, did he come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Let me ask you again. What does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life, And the miracles of God's tremendous power, have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. Because we're united with the anointed one, all the promises of the kingdom are deeded to us. Say hallelujah. Not because we keep the law or fulfill religious duties. If that were the case, it would have nullified what God said to Abraham. We receive all the promises because of the promised one, not because we keep the law. Truly, if there was a law that we could keep which would give us new life, then our salvation would have come by law-keeping. But the Scriptures make it clear that since we are all under the power of sin, we needed Jesus. And He is the Savior who brings the kingdom realm to those who believe. So until this revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was a jailer, holding us as prisoners under lock and key until the faith which was destined to be revealed would be set free would set us free. The law and our failure to keep it becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we would be saved by faith. But when faith comes into our hearts and we have come to the Messiah, the law is no longer in force since we've already entered into life. You have become all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you are covered and clothed in his anointing. And since you've been united to Jesus, the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. Say amen. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. For we are one with Jesus, the anointed one. Amen. Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the pondage of the past. The Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. And when you're placed into the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations, it can't benefit you anything. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. And as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder Him from, the living, free, from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. The Holy Spirit is the only one who defeats the cravings of your natural life. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. We have now chosen to live in the surrendered freedom of yielding to the Holy Spirit. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the Anointed One as we carry each other's troubles. And let everybody be devoted to fulfill the work God gave them to do with excellence, And their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not in being affirmed by others. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked for what you plant, the very thing you will harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you you plant corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. And if you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from everlasting life of the spirit. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted, it is coming. I've been crucified to this natural realm, and the natural realm is dead to me and no longer dominates my life. And all those who live in agreement with this standard will have true peace and God's delight, for they are the Israel of God. And all the people said, Amen. Amen, amen. Let me pray for you guys. Let's stand up together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your beautiful word. We thank you for the impartation of wealth that's been transferred to us as we submit ourselves to your word. We thank you, God, for this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. We thank you, Father. Thank you for the powerful ways that he so clearly just smashes in the face every trace of legalism and religion. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for rooting out all the little junk of legalism inside of our own hearts. And we give you permission one more time to just fully remove all legalism, all religion from our hearts. Let it be that we forever understand our place in your family. Let it be that we forever understand it has nothing to do with what, what we do or living up to certain rules, but only because of the gift of righteousness that you gave us through Jesus. Help us to live under the abundance of grace that you poured out upon us. Let our lives be marked as lives of grace all of our days we love you. We just thank you so much for your word. And specifically this week, I'm asking that you would put a, a fire and a hunger and intensity in hearts to cry out to you one more time and say, oh, God, what am I here for? What did you make me for? So that we can all do 100% what we are called to do. We can be ourselves. And in doing so, we will find joy and we will find inheritance. We thank you, Lord. We love you so much. Amen.